and welcome to Smashed Prawns in a Milky Basket, a podcast about the work of comedy writer, performer, director, and all-round genius, Julia Davis. I'm Sophie Davis, no relation, and on each episode, I'm joined by a guest to talk about a different show created by Julia Davis. This episode is about Lizzie and Sarah, and my guest is Boyd Hilton of Heat Magazine, Pilot TV, and lots more. Uh, so, Boyd, what was your introduction to Julia Davis? Um, I think it was um, Big Train, actually, which I think might have been the first thing she did on television, um, the sketch show written by um, Arthur Matthews and Graham Linehan with Simon Pegg. In fact, and Kevin Eldon, who's in this show Mark we're discussing. Keep, Mark Keep, who, yeah, both, everyone. <laughs> both in this, uh, in Lizzie and Sarah. And then, I guess... Jam. Um, in fact, I think I've watched pretty much everything she's done from, from the, the start. Yeah, because the, uh, even back then. So I've, I've been writing about TV pretty much since I graduated from university. So um, and I'm that old. So I would have been watching those shows both professionally and personally. And as, you know, from Big Train onwards, she was a brilliant comic presence on TV. I think so. Yeah. So I think from then on, I've kind of carried on watching her throughout every single thing she's ever done. Yeah, cool. So for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Lizzie and Sarah is a pilot that was written by Julia Davis and Jessica Hines, and it aired on BBC Two in 2010. I learned quite recently that they had a radio show together two years before that that was on uh, something called Resonance FM. Have you heard of this before? It vaguely rings a bell, yeah. Mainly in ter- just in terms of, I remember at the time, people were Talking about that, but I had never. I have to admit, I never heard that radio show. Yeah, yeah. it's it was called Pepper Tits, <laughs> uh, and it was them sort of talking to each other as various characters in a quite sort of improvised way. Right. I had a quick listen the other day, oh, okay. and it, it does seem like two of those characters inspired Lizzie and oh. Sarah. Uh, they're not named, and the voices are quite different, but it's basically two women talking about their like awful family problems right. in a quite sort of cheery way. And they say that their husbands are called John and Michael, and one of them mentions a Brunita as well. Right. So that seems right. to be where it yeah, yeah, yeah. originated, really. But that sounds like a forerunner of, of the podcast, of podcasts in general and of what they've what they've done recently. So yeah, that's yeah. interesting. I think if anyone wants to look it up, I think they are available. What I listened to was on Chortle and it was kind of oh, highlights, okay. but I think it is also available every episode as like a sort of podcast, I think. Oh, I'm definitely listening to that. Not that. I've never heard of Resonance <laughs> FM before. I don't know if it still exists. Me neither. Or... <laughs> it sounds like a kind of joke um, station that um, Alan Partridge would be part of or something. Yeah, <laughs> Resonance, very yeah. sort of grand. The BBC Two pilot aired in 2010, specifically on Saturday the 20th of March at 11.45pm. Yes. Can you yes. hear me rolling my eyes? Yeah, I mean, at the time, sorry to interrupt, but at the time, the fact that it was going out, that these two, you know, giants of, of comedy, many TV comedy, I mean, you know, Jessica Hines and Julia Davis, the fact that their new thing was being shown at 11.45 on Saturday night on BBC2 was like, everyone was like, why is this happening? And I think then we saw it and we thought, oh, okay, well, it is pretty bold and daring and and and, and difficult. But still, like that was extraordinary. Nowadays, it'd be on 10 o'clock BBC2, no problem. It'd be absolutely fine, Tuesday night, you know, whatever. But that was a ridiculous thing to do, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask about this because I... Someone tweeted a while ago they felt a bit old listening to this podcast because I said I didn't watch Nighty Night when it originally aired because I was only about 12. <laughs> Fair but enough. when Lizzie and Sarah aired, I... 
was I was a little bit older, so I did watch it. When yeah. I recorded it because it was on so late, and then I watched it the next day. Right. But I I think I was still a bit young to be aware of any kind of reaction, yeah. you know, to the time slot. So yeah, is that your memory of it that people Absolutely. were quite upset? We were, yeah. I think, and because I, I mean, so it was 2010, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I mean, I've been writing, I've been working at Heat for 20 years, so um, unbelievably, um, still going. And um, I so I was given a link to watch it. To, to review it, to preview it and write about it in the magazine, kind of probably two or three weeks before it went out. And there was quite a big buzz about it because, you know, on any level, the, the you know, by that point, the, these were two really, as I say, two kind of big stars of TV comedy and they were hugely popular and hugely respected and admired. And the idea of them working together on this thing, um, on a new TV show. And I think everyone assumed, well, this is a pilot, but then we're bound to get serious. So, mm-hmm. you know, and then when it, when it was made clear to me that um, it was going to be BBC Two Saturday night, eleven forty-five, nothing goes out eleven forty-five. I think everyone was incredulous. I was incredulous, yeah. And I think I, uh, I imagine I must have um, gone gone on about. I think I went on about it in my preview, saying how ridiculous it was that it was on so late. But you know, you should watch and record it. So yeah, it was definitely notable. And a ridiculous decision by whoever was in charge at that time. Yeah, uh, Simon Pegg apparently tweeted at the time. Well, similar to what you've said already, seems amazing that the BBC commission a pilot from two of the funniest women in the UK and then air it at this time. Geez, Beeb, grow a pair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and someone in the Guardian, I'm afraid I can't, I couldn't find who it was because I couldn't find the original version. But mm. they spoke to Henry Normal of Baby Cow and asked him why he thought it was being put uh-huh. on so late, and he said it's definitely the content. It's darker than the BBC had anticipated, and it seems to have caught them by surprise. Uh, he also said, with a couple of exceptions like the thick of it and getting on, the BBC does seem to have a lighter tone at the moment, and this doesn't really fit their brief. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? That's mm. so interesting because I, I think now, as I say, I'm pretty sure now, you know, I think Shane Allen, to just to, you know, is in charge of comedy at the BBC now, who um, was previously at Channel Four and has a much more, I think, just a general open attitude towards. What, what what can be shown and what can be done on television generally. Um, and I, don't, I, I think there'll be no question that it will go out, as I say, 10 o'clock, yeah, but, you know. Yeah, like inside to, number nine right, sort of in, saying. Exactly. Yeah. Seen, so it just seems weird. It seems very, very odd that, that only nine years ago um, the BBC was so scared of it. Mm. And you watch it, and it, well, obviously we're about to talk about it in depth, but I feel now like it's it's extraordinary and everything and, 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 and we're talking about what we think of it, but. To have to put it on that leg is absolutely preposterous. Yeah. Yeah. And the same person in The Guardian also did go to the BBC and ask about why have you done this? Yeah. Uh, they said, we think it's the most appropriate time given <laughs> the nature of the content and the target audience. No. Basically, we're putting it on at a time. Given the nature of the content and targets, we're putting it on a time where everyone's asleep. Yeah. And if you really want to watch it, you're going to have to. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because I guess there's. Now, you know, everyone is recording stuff anyway and people, you know, the, the, the theory is that no one watches TV live in yeah, quotes yeah. anymore anyway and everything, and which is, you know, it's slightly exaggerated. In fact, I think probably the vast majority of people still do watch live TV, but equally any audience for this time of show would record it and watch it in their own time. So it wouldn't make that much difference. But I think symbolically to put give it that time slot says you're not supporting the show. And of course, consequently, they did not commission the series. And um, I, I'm pretty sure I remember at the time um, that they that they def- Julia Davis definitely did want to do a series. It wasn't like they decided, oh no, against it or, or anything like that. So I think the whole thing felt like, yeah, all right, well, you're, you know, it is it is 
challenging content mm. but to give it that slot is absolutely perverse yeah and the bbc also said they had the gall to say we don't always transmit pilots but in this instance we wanted to give fans an oh, opportunity to see their funny. creative collaboration and the person who wrote this article said for the bbc to make out that it's an act of generosity to put it out in the first place seems a little disingenuous yeah that's incredible like yeah. they're doing us a favor yeah. by letting us see it right. at all because i'm pretty sure it was because there are pilots that aren't meant to yeah. be shown yeah i mean and julia davis has done them herself you know there's various pilots she did a, there was a breakfast tv morning is broken yeah, which wasn't, yeah. It was never shown which you know but this was always meant to be shown. I think it was a broadcast mm-hmm. pilot that was intended, definitely not, and not definitely not intended by its makers to be shown at eleven forty-five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I looked this up the other day and I couldn't find it anywhere. But I, I think I heard a while ago. I'm not sure if it was Julia Davis or Jessica Hines. Mm. I think I heard one of them say that if a series had been commissioned it would have been like a sort of anthology series where each... Right, I know that's But I did yeah. Google this the other day and I couldn't find it. So every, if anyone wants to get in touch and let me know if right. I've imagined this or not, but I feel... And I think that would kind of make sense because it was quite a, a full story. It was, yeah. And then it would be sort of like a human remains sort of right. thing or like their, their radio show that they did with different characters. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I think uh, now I'm... You see, now I'm trying to wrap my own brains because the problem with stuff I write is it's not online. So... We don't uh, heat. We don't put. Um, we don't put anything online, really. So um, I couldn't check, but I'm pretty sure I asked Julie. That I've interviewed her a few times in recent years, and I'm pretty sure I asked her about this show one one of those times. And I said, "Well, we know you. The series wasn't commissioned, and she didn't specify whether it was going to be anthology or not." But I, I remember saying myself, "I would like to have seen what happened mm. now." You know, Lizzie and Sarah got rid of their respective horrible. <laughs> Like going on the was, run or yeah, something. Yeah, going on yeah. the run. She was like, yeah, that would have been interesting to see. I'm pretty sure was her response. But so, but having said that, the idea of of a anthology type show makes more sense. Yeah, mm. and that, that itself would have been fascinating to have her and Jessica Hines exploring those kinds of characters. Yeah, yeah at the time, like, like you said, a lot of things weren't online anyway. But I found Catelyn Moran in the Times was saying, um, "Oh, this this time slot is the kind of place I might hide a dead body if I didn't <laughs> want it discovered." And yeah. similar to Simon Pegg, she says, "I can't imagine two male comedy performers of this stature right, being shunted right. into this kind of slot with no publicity." Of course, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent, yeah. You mean like Steve Coogan and I don't know, and Simon Pegg or something. It's the yeah. equivalent, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No way would that have happened. Yeah. Yeah. And then said, you know, oh, it's a favour that we put on at all. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Eldon in an interview said he kind of blamed it on, you know, similar to Henry Normal, really, people just sort of be, being a bit interfering and, yeah. and saying, oh, that's not really with BBC values at the moment and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's a shame. <laughs> it's a big shame, yeah. I think if it had been made for Sky, as subsequently, you know, all of Julia's stuff since then, am I right in saying that? Um, yeah, I yeah. think I I had read in an interview actually. She said that Lizzie and Sarah did kind of make her yeah. want to go where she was wanted. Yeah, I think she did make that point to me. Yeah, that you know she she has very much creative freedom. You know, all of it. I mean, you can only need to watch it to see how much creative freedom there is. Because I would say Sally Forever makes this. You know, in terms of the, the, <laughs> the explicitness of the content, people have to. If it maybe the they put it out at three a.m. in the morning compared to the eleven yeah. forty-five of this. So she's definitely done stuff regularly. Um, as you've discussed on this podcast, that is in its content even more extraordinary than this show that has guys happily put out at nine o'clock at night or whatever, or ten o'clock at night maybe. So yeah, I think it, I think it's interesting, isn't it? I think it probably backfired on the BBC because they've missed out. I think on having some great Julia Davis stuff. Mm, yeah, I definitely feel cheated, mm. <laughs> and it is a bit frustrating with Sky now. You know, obviously it's great they're letting her do what she wants to, but I feel like. 
a lot of people who were big fans of like Nighty Night, for example. Yeah. A lot of them haven't actually seen her things yeah, on Sky because they think it's not as accessible. Which, well, I mean, it isn't. You have to pay for yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah. Um, it's true. Yeah, it is a bit of a shame. You know, it's probably not getting the viewing figures yeah. that it would have done on yeah, a, another channel. That's right. And I think when because Sally Forever won the BAFTA, didn't it? Um, this and year, my Twitter feed was full of people going, "What is right. this?" Yes, exactly. <laughs> people were particularly annoyed, wasn't it? Because it beat something very Dairy Girls. Right, Dairy Girls. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. Which is a popular phenomenon mm-hmm. and people were outraged but of course the, that's the whole point of the BAFTAs is it's just about um, excellence and the, and, the, and the show and you're not allowed to take into account how popular a show is I, I, I've been on BAFTA juries so but people were kind of slightly bewildered that the show that some of them never heard of because it was on Sky Atlantic you know you can't get it unless you subscribe to even Virgin customers still can't get it I think yeah, I've got um, Now TV. Right. And I think I, when you I... You can ri- get on Now TV, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think yeah, when I originally yeah. got it, it was to watch Game of Thrones. And right. then I was like, oh, all these yeah. Julia Davis shows yeah. are on it. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So it just is, by by its very nature, it's more of a minority viewing channel than anything that goes out on the BBC and certainly and, and Channel 4. So yeah, there was all round shock and surprise when it beat Derry Girls. Yeah, but, it's, but I love Sunny Forever. So I was, I'm, and I love both shows, but I was fine with it winning, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I was fine. I think I was think I was happy with all the nominees. I think Stathlet's Flats was yeah. in there. Yeah, it was a great it was a great year. It's, I mean, comedy now on TV generally. Let me you know without wanting to be diverted from our subject is going through a huge period, a huge renaissance. There was a time when you know we, months would go by without a new scripted narrative comedy sitcom, if you want to call it that, um, would 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 appear on TV. Now there's like two or three a week, and the and the, and the standard is incredible. Yeah. yeah, and it's hard to remember because there's so many standout shows now. Yeah. It's hard to kind of yeah. filter it. Like if someone has said I had to do a top five or a top ten of the year, it would be difficult it's to hard, narrow really it hard, down for sure, just yeah. for comedy. Absolutely, yeah. So let's talk about the episode mm. then. So we open on the uh, the Borking players. Um, yes. Is Borking a real place? I only just thought about this. Uh, I don't know, but I doubt it. Like, yeah. like, do you know what it could be? I don't know. Yeah, sorry. Uh, they're rehearsing <laughs> in this village hall sort of place. Yeah. And we see there's this poster on the wall that says, Tribute to Vicky Bobin. Uh, she fell asleep with the angels. Uh, and then it says 1993 to 2009. And someone has drawn like some boobs on the zeros, which I think I only noticed like the third time that I watched it. Yeah. Uh, and we first see Lizzie and Sarah kind of um, from behind and from the waist down, isn't it? So it's kind of emphasizing this frumpy yes. look that's very different yes. from how they are in real life. If Wikipedia is right about their ages, I think at this point, Julia was in her early 40s, but obviously she's always looked a lot younger. Uh, Jessica Hines was in her late 30s. Right. And in this show, obviously, they're playing these characters who are in their mid-50s and yeah. also teenagers as well. Yes. Who are called Faith and Ellie. I, I was thinking, like, if, if someone was watching this and they had never seen Julia Davis or Jessica Hines before, I was thinking it might be possible that they wouldn't recognize that it was the same people because yeah, no, the makeup so. is really yeah. good yeah it is brilliant yeah yeah so in that in that first scene yeah they, they're 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 playing two sets of different sets of characters and the teenagers i guess they're supposed to be teenagers aren't they, they, they i think they're yeah. supposed to, if they're the same age as the dead girl then they're 16 right, there which is a bit of a stretch, <laughs> oh, yeah, that but... is a stretch yeah that is a comedic stretch but they're so visually different and funny and i mean that the i watching this again i felt like they though the teenage characters were way ahead of their time because they're like kind of instagram mm. upset the people who'd be in, into instagram now which i don't even know if it even existed in the 90s i mean my, having said this i, I could, you know i may be exaggerating the extent to which time has moved on because social media was around um but nevertheless they feel like proper social media age teenagers mm. 
you know, kind of Kardashian influenced Kardashians were going back then. Um, and they are awful, horrendous um, people kind of rubbing up against each other and, you know, all of that. <laughs> and then you're, you cut to Lizzie and Sarah, as you say, in their 50s, played by the same women. And, it is, and, and, and their get up, their costume and makeup and hair is so convincing and brilliant that it, yeah, they absolutely pull it off. You're right. Yeah, that there are these two completely conflicting, contrasting, age-different characters. It's, it's brilliantly done. Yeah, the makeup was done by uh, Christine Kant, so okay. well done to Kudos. her. <laughs> and the costume designer was, I think, the same person who did Nighty Night and Hunderby, which is um, Claire Finley Thompson. Okay. So very good job by yeah, both of those brilliant. people. Uh, we meet Lizzie's husband, John, who's played by David Kahn, uh, who was also in Sally Forever with Julia. Yeah. Uh, and he is sort of demanding a, a sandwich, isn't he? And like slapping her hand away when she gives him one. And I love how Sarah's reaction is just sort of like, oh, he must be hungry. Just yes. like ex- immediately just excusing this awful yeah. behavior, yeah. which then carries on really. Because that's kind of like their lives, isn't it? You're like, yeah, you're straight into it, aren't you, in that opening scene? So there's no messing about, which is what I think is 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 very is quite characteristic of Julia Davis's work, particularly that you're straight into the situation and the character. They're established as being these um, kind of extraordinarily put upon um, women with their horrendous partners and husbands treating them awfully, horrendously, right from the word go, and then it just builds and builds and builds from there. So you, I feel like you know who they are within about a minute of starting the show, you know, you have a very, very clear idea. And it's obviously partly down to their incredible performances as well. But, um, you know, a lot of comedy takes time to build up to, you know, who these people are and you're like, you know, getting to know them, you know, sitcoms often start quite slowly and, you know, but this it's absolutely, you know, you know exactly who these two women are and the kind of lives they've led within minutes. I think it's pretty incredible, writing and acting. By the time we get, I think it's about 20 minutes in where we, it sort of changes and becomes this more sort of revenge yeah. story. They've, packed a lot into those 20 minutes yeah. to kind of justify it you Absolutely. know we've seen them being treated so horribly yeah. and the men being so horrible that yeah. when they start kicking off it's it's something that we can understand and oh, we don't exactly. sympathize with the men at all totally i think it's kind of incredibly ahead of its time i think in that sense like i think now we'd we'd call it coercive control possibly you know what they both um have to bar with you know which is a you know which is a kind of big serious issue that has recently become a become law you know and with there are cases of women who have you know real life cases that wanting to be too heavy at this early stage of this podcast but i think it's incredibly psychological psychologically insightful on their part that they depicted these um women so effectively abused by the husbands in a, in, in a psychological i mean you know in a psychological way and what they do to them what they say to them and yet they're kind of enthralled to them to some extent, as you say, in the fir- at least in the first half, 20 minutes, the first two acts of the of the episode. And that and now we kind of recognize that as a thing, you know, and I think probably back then, I think people just thought, oh, this is what something that women have, have had to endure for so long. And you don't, it's not necessarily been recognized as the way it works, as the way this kind of behavior works from, you know, in the way men coerce women. It, it could be anyone in a relationship coerce each other into doing extraordinary things and just de- living with this horrible, nasty, disgusting behavior. I think it's f- incredibly insightful on their part. I mean, I'm sounding, making it sound like it's grimly, you know, realistic in a kind of dramatic way, which it slightly is a bit, I think more perhaps most than most of the things they've done outside of, of, of this one off half hour show. But I do think that it feels, I thought it was incredibly powerful watching it again recently um, to see how they depict that, those lives. Yeah. I think 
I was thinking the other day, I think it is the sort of most perhaps overtly feminist mm. thing she's mm. ever done. I think um, so. And have you heard Dear Joan and Jericho? Of course. Because I think that is similar themes yes. coming into it, the sort of middle-aged women talking about the men in their lives being awful, but yeah. it's as if they almost aren't aware that it's awful. They think yeah, it's normal exactly, behavior yeah. and that it's their duty to look pretty and to serve them. And if, yeah. if they want to trade them in for a younger model, then it's perfectly fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's nice that Lizzie and Sarah sort of not lived on, but they she has managed to use similar themes since that in Dear Joan and Jerrica. And that has had quite a big reaction. I yeah. think, like you said, I think if Lizzie and Sarah came out now, there would be more of a reaction, I think, from women in particular, yeah. sort of yeah. not necessarily identifying with it, but well, maybe to a certain extent. I think a lot of people would identify it, actually. You know, I really do. I think, I mean, you know, it, it, it is a real shame that they, I mean, I, I think, you know, if it was shown again now, I think it would have a big impact because I do think it's addressing a, a particular syndrome, which is very, very common, you know, and I think, you know, I think she said it, I think I've certainly seen Julia Davis talk about how, I mean, she's generally obsessed, fascinated by slash obsessed with relationships that become unbelievably toxic and, um, you know, and, and painful really, and get milking, mining that for humor, which, which they do in this, in this, in this show. And she's done all the way through. But I do think that it's really put, putting its finger this particular story on something that's very, very common. And, you, you know, just, you know, women being downtrodden by appalling men um, and kind of having to and, and, and snapping as well, you know, being driven too far, um, being driven only, only you know, and, and kind of realising the, the reality or dealing with the reality of the situation is a really interesting, interesting idea. Yeah, they have this conversation about their husbands where Lizzie is saying, oh, John has said he'd like me to get a facelift. He's finding it harder and harder to look at me. Yeah. Sarah said she's considering getting implants and she says, I think it would make Michael a lot happier. <laughs> Nothing to do with her own happiness. It's just all about yeah. him and that he's told her that he can get her a coach deal to go to Iran, which obviously <laughs> becomes reality later. Yeah. Lizzie is saying, oh yeah, you know, John loves big boobs and we see him just ogling these teenage girls. And Sarah's saying as well, you know, it's quite brutal. You know, Michael never wanted children, S said if I ever had a baby, he'd drown it. But that's just his sense of humor. Again, <laughs> just sort of laughing it off. Yeah. Like throughout this whole conversation, they're just sort of smiling and chuckling. Like they could be having a conversation about anything, but these awful things that their husbands yeah. have said to yeah. them. After that, they're rehearsing this number that they're all going to perform at Vicky's memorial the next day. And this is where we meet Kevin Eldon, who's playing uh, Rick, uh, who's leading the performance. And we later find out he's also Vicky's father. And Rick and John in particular are just sort of perving over the girls, aren't they? Like Kevin Eldon sort of licking his pen in a yeah, really creepy yeah. way while watching them yeah, dance. Absolutely, yeah. That's brilliantly done, yeah. And, and I think just the, the casting, because these guys, you know, the, the, everything about them and that, and you know, is kind of creepy and horrible. And it's, it's, it, they are fantastic at that. All of these men, David Cann, Mark Heap, um, Kevin Eldon, they're just great at that kind of, you know, really creepy, horrendous men <laughs> behaving in this appalling way. Yeah, they yeah. are absolutely brilliant. They're that. so like callous, just yeah. completely ignoring their wives going after these younger women and the older women just don't just sort of let them get on with yeah. it because that's the done thing. <laughs> and I think, and I think you know, again, without wanting to put too fine a point on it, I think, I think it's real. I think it's really, you know, you could, obviously it's exaggerated for comic effect, but having said that, I think it's, I think it's absolutely um, true that men, a lot of men are like that. And certainly, you know, and I think, you know, 
and kind of get away with. And I think again, this is a thing, possibly through through theme running through both of their stuff they've done, um, Jessica Hines and Julia Davis, but 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 def- particularly Julia Davis's work that you can get away with stuff. You can get, I mean, not even just men, but people can get away with absolutely diabolical behavior in front of each other, essentially. You know, we'll go on to like, you know, going upstairs and shagging the the uh, live-in, the live-in working work woman, live-in, whatever she's supposed to be. Um, she doesn't really do anything. Yeah, but she's yeah. the cleaner, effectively. <laughs> supposed to be. It's supposed to be. Kind of, you know, with the full knowledge of everyone in the vicinity. And that, Julia Davis does that brilliantly, all like, you know, in so many things she does, of, which I think is really, again, psychologically true, is that you, you people do just deal with appalling behaviour in front of their eyes, effectively, and just look the other way if they don't want to deal with it. Um, at that moment in time, or can't deal with it. If you can't, you know, it's almost too much to deal with. The more appalling behaviour that you see um, in front of your eyes, pretty much, the the more sometimes you just can't deal with it, and so just let it happen effectively. Or not, you're not colluding in it in, in any way, but you just it does happen, and there's not much you can do about it at that moment in time. Obviously, thankfully, in this, you know, in this story, they do do something about it in the end. But I think it really resonates how the most diabolical things can happen in front of your eyes and you just kind of shut it out and pretending it's not really there. It's kind of similar, I suppose, to like Kath in 99 yeah, as well, very kind yeah. of overly apologetic yeah. and, you know, Jill Tyrrell is doing these awful things and exactly. yet Kath is the one going, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And in Sally Forever, you know, that, you know, the, the, the um, Julia Davis's character is, is manages to psychologically twist people in the most ridiculous way. And it'd be kind of people go along with it just because they kind of, you know, that if it, that, that is what happens. People do go along with terrible, terrible, terrible things. Uh, John says that he's got an agent coming to the memorial and Vicky's mum is obviously outraged. Uh, she's played by Claire Rushbrook. And she's like, what, you've got an agent coming to Vicky's memorial? And he's just like, yeah, dead shaft. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> This is the point where we find out Vicky was actually, she died because she was run over and they, with the teenagers, they've really perfected that sort of upspeak where, yes. like, like you were saying before, sort of Instagram, mm. that sort of thing. Ellie is like, oh, you know, one minute we were just like on the grass in our netball kits talking about her new swept over fringe. <laughs> Faith is going on about, um, oh, she, before she died, she told me I've got so much talent, I can't let it go to waste. And Ellie's like, oh my God, she said the same <laughs> thing to me as well. Fiona starts crying. The girls are doing this sort of like fake crying. And then obviously yeah. John and Rick come in comforting the girls and not comforting Fiona at all. They got the priorities sorted. And then there's a very sad moment where Sarah gets this phone reminder that it's her birthday lunch tomorrow and, you know, everyone's invited and they all just walk off while she's talking. Yeah, it's painful. And it's, yeah, heartbreaking. And then it gets even worse because they're struggling to carry that drum to the car. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, can we? There's no room. We've got the girls in the back, and can we put it in the boot? And then he just drives off, and it starts raining. And they are still kind of, even at this point, they're still smiling a little bit because yeah. they're just sort of like, this is fine. <laughs> that meme with the fire going on, just like this is fine. This is how life is. Yeah, just exactly, accepting yeah. it. Yeah, that 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 is. Yeah, that that again, that is the truth of it. That they are they that is, they are just accepting it, and kind of. I think at this point, you can kind of even this. You know, barely like five minutes in, probably, but you do get the sense that the two of them are kind of confiding in each other and have at least they have that like already you're like well this is horrible and bleak and you're really being even by your standards even by the extreme things we've seen these um these comedy writers and performers do particularly julia davis's case 
even by her sense, this is still pre- already pretty extreme stuff. You're dealing with death and tragedy and awful behavior and most of the worst men you've ever seen. But at least they have Lizzie and Sarah characters have kind of got each other and they are t- talking to each other about the terrible things they're going through, even though they're kind of just not saying it in that way they're just kind of like this is just our lives and we're fine with it and it's fine yeah exactly uh we go to lizzie's house and we've got this tv advert that john (laughs) is in for is it indigestion tablets he's like a builder who (laughs) he can't wolf whistle because he's got indigestion and then the tablets sort him out and he just like slaps this woman's ass at the end of the advert and i love how much lizzie's enjoying it as well she's like mouthing along with the words she's really proud of him isn't again that's again you know i thought that was so good that she's proud of this monster he's just like you know he thinks of himself clearly as some kind of like incredibly successful famous actor or whatever and performer and thinks he's brilliant and he's in this horrendous little ad for as you say some kind of constipation pill or something and the whole thing is perfect. It's like she's kind of proud of him. He's vaguely, he's happy. He's happy he with himself. Kind of smug, smug, yeah. He, right, he's smugly happy that he's in this TV ad for constipation pills or whatever they are. And it's just, it's just perfect. Yeah. Oh, she like calls him into the room yes. when it's on. Like you get right. the impression she's been doing it every time. Like, yeah. oh, John, it's yeah. on, it's on. Yeah. Uh, and this is where we meet Bernita, who's played by uh, Jessica Gunning, who's so good here. She's brilliant. And she's like passed out on the sofa with this big bowl of crisps on top of her. Lizzie starts trying to do some tidying up and her daughter is like, oh, shouldn't Bernita be doing that? And Lizzie says, oh, you know, she gets so tired with her war-torn background. I think it's the flashbacks that really exhaust her. And she's just passed out on the sofa. And then we go to Sarah's house and where we meet Mark Heap, uh, who plays uh, Michael. And like this image now <laughs> with the pillow and everything. When I first watched Lizzie and Sarah, I didn't watch it again until quite a few years later. Yeah. And for some reason, this was like the lasting oh, yeah, memory sure. that I yes. had of it. This yes, image same. in my head. Yeah, like I When agree. I thought of the show over those years, that's what I thought yeah. of. It's only a few seconds, but it's so bleak. <laughs> yeah, it's the sex scene where he's, he's has, he puts a pillow over her head. Yeah, that is definitely unbelievably bleak and but but unbelievably powerful and yet funny at the same time that is textbook isn't it textbook julia davis and jessica stevenson just just go sorry just and it just yeah i mean it's horrific and yet funny yeah and the way at the end you know he like rolls off it and she just yeah. goes thank you, thank you yeah, <laughs> like thank really, you. really meekly yeah yeah i think there are two sex scenes aren't there he did yeah. sex first without the pillow over her face but where he's perfunctorily just using her body for his needs and she's just like and then they have another one and that almost adds to the horror of it i think for me that then in the second time he has the pillow over her face because yeah. he's thought of that to do and that's like and oh, it's Jesus. like her um birthday morning yes, where right, he's yeah. got the pillow and she, she's really sort of like hitting his chest a bit yes. as well and like when he moves it off her face she's sort of gasping for breath yeah, right. no Christ. great way to start the, yeah. the birthday off um yeah. and the same morning as well lizzie is like bringing Bernita, like a toasty in bed. It's, you know, Bernita's clearly not doing anything in the yeah. house. Uh, Lizzie asks her if she can do a bit of hoovering, uh, hoover up her toenails that she's been cutting on the landing Amazing. in a really like overly apologetic way. Like, yeah. oh, I was just wondering if you wouldn't mind, you know, if you've got time or if you're not tired. Like, again, sort of reminded me of Kath in 99. Yes, and she just looks at her and goes, I have flashback. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. Is it like Eastern European? Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was maybe some kind 
kind of um, I thought it might be Central American. That's Maybe. what I was thinking of. Yeah, I suppose Bonita's yeah, quite Bonita yeah. Yeah. So I thought I was thinking, you know, yeah, like um, El Salvador or something like mm, that. I was Maybe that in my mind. Yeah, yeah. She says, oh, I have flashback, and and she says, uh, my family rape, and she goes, Gosh, do they? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she says that she'll hoover the hall after Columbo. Yes. And Lizzie's like, oh, thank you so much. That's really sweet of you. Thank you so much. We go back to Sarah's house where she's making her own birthday cake. Yeah. And she's just sort of humming like everything's fine. You know, she's just had this horrendous sex with her, if it's even, if you even call it that, mm. with her husband. And she's just humming, making a cake. Things start falling out of the cupboard and this massive like mayo jar falls on the cake. And then when Michael comes in, he's just sort of not even looking at her, is he? Just, he's just completely disengaged. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I've made a special birthday breakfast, yeah, even though it's her birthday, you know. And he's just like, coffee, coffee, coffee. <laughs> like, I love the way Mark Heap talks. It really works well here. Like, uh, there's a, there was a bit when they were in bed actually, where they he rolls over and she goes, Michael, and he goes, I'm busy. Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> and yeah. he says, I'm counting the days till I die. Yes, yeah, so that is a brilliant line. Yeah, I'm counting the days till I die. Yeah. And doesn't he walk on tri- walk on the cake as well? Yeah, he knocks it off yeah. first, and then he comes back to get his coffee, and then treads on it. Treads on it yeah. And she's like trying to eat bits of it off yeah, the oh floor. My god. Yeah, that's that is bleak. <laughs> yeah. So I think, and at this point, like, I, I think it's it's fair to say that. It, it is testing the boundaries of of, of of darkness. You know, it's an overused phrase of in comedy, particularly. But they really are. This is this is horrendous stuff. And I think the brilliance of it is that every time you think, "Oh my god, this is like," you know, this could be it could be a drama. You know, you could have these two women's lives with the stuff that they've been. This could all be played f- f- deadly seriously. You know, in a gritty drama about about, as I say, you know, abusive relationships between men and women. But it's everything. It is there are funny, funny moments at every single turn, where it's it's an object lesson in in you know in finding the terrible, terrible comedy in awful, bleak, terrible situations. Man. Yeah, it has got a more sort of naturalistic feel than yeah. something like Nighty Night. I suppose it's a bit more like Human Remains. Like yeah, it's a I bit think more. So. Yeah. Uh, like yeah, like you said, it could be a, a gritty drama yeah. about an awful relationship. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And she says one of them says, "Doesn't all marriages have their ups and downs?" At one point, yeah. I think. yeah. This is it, the next bit where she right. we don't know we don't see at first who she's talking <laughs> yes. to, and she's saying, "Oh, you know, all marriages have their That's ups right, and downs." The yeah. physical side of things has yes. dwindled a little bit, and we see that she's talking to this little kid the who little she's kid, teaching yeah, to the, play the piano. The piano that is a pla- see that is a textbook comedy reveal, isn't it? That she's talking about extreme adult behaviour. Did she say something that I can't remember the phrase she? Uses about uh, the loveless. She says something about, "Oh, I've never been very adventurous in the sack." In the sack, that's right. And that's the moment you cut to him, the little boy. She's teaching the piano to. That is the timing of that again. So that's done so dryly, and you know, again, just about on on the on you know on, on a comedic moment, a comedic edit, but so brilliantly done, brilliantly timed. That it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I love that moment. Yeah, and what follows is very funny as well, but also really brutal because this is where Bernita sort of decides that it's the good time to start hoovering when <laughs> yes. they're having this piano yes. lesson, and then she starts spraying the piano keys while Lizzie's playing it and just slams the yeah. lid down. And I love how Lizzie just ca- like tr- almost acts as if it hasn't happened. Yeah. Like she's clearly in massive pain, but she tries to carry on playing, at, even though this terrible thing has just happened. And then, of course, she calls the lesson off because there's loud music coming from the other room. She goes in and John and Bernita are, like, dancing together. And Bernita gives Lizzie, like, an amazing look of, like, 
what are you going to do about this? Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, it's got this kind of sullen expression yeah. throughout the whole thing. Even later when we see them kind of, you know, having sex, she's still just got this blank kind <laughs> of brilliant. sulky expression. Yeah. And there's a real common, that's a common thread, isn't it, in, in, in Julia's stuff, the, of the character who's horrendous, behaving in the most disgusting, reprehensible way and kind of the way of pushing that through is to be really horrible to the even more horrible to the person who's having to endure this like the victim effectively of what they're colluding in or mm-hmm. she's colluding in this having sex with her husband and she's being really horrible to the person just making it even worse yeah. and yet that is a way of driving through psychotically almost driving through the reality of the situation it happens quite a lot and I think I'm pretty much sure it happens fairly regularly in Hunderby isn't it for example and elsewhere yeah. and so it feels very and yet there is something Every time you do, you see it, you think, "Oh my god, this is there's a reality to there's a horrendous reality to that." I quite like it sometimes in a comedy where there's you know one character and everyone is being horrible to them for no reason. Like yeah. like you said in Hunderby, Helen is just yeah. everyone is just appalling exactly, to her, yeah, yeah. and I think you know non Julia Davis stuff as well, like in. House of Fools, like everyone was horrible to Bob Mortimer all the time. <laughs> right. Like, I don't know why, that just sort of tickles me for yeah. some reason when that happens. And this is where we find out that Sarah is, ironically, she's like a marriage counsellor or some sort of therapist. Yes, that is brilliant. A brilliant moment, yeah. Yeah, and Rick and... um Fiona have come round to see her and he's talking about his wife again just being awful saying oh you know she's lost her figure and he says she even smells different down there and Fiona's like oh well I was doing well up until Christmas and Sarah's like oh oh god yeah I'm a terror with all the with all the puds and mayonnaise and she's like no no that's when Vicky died (laughs) again that is quite a textbook comedy sort of misunderstanding you know from a counsellor from yeah yeah that is perfect Yeah. yeah and Rick also says, um, oh, I just feel that Fiona still blames me for Vicky's death. And she says, well, you did run her over. <laughs> he was apparently like perving the girls yes. on the grass. Uh, and he, Kevin Eldon's great here. He says like, oh, here we go again. Where can I look? And he just shoves his face into Jessica Hines' crotch. Like, can I look here without being accused of being pervert? <laughs> like that is, again, just sort of the sort of thing you do kind of hear sometimes from men in real life like oh I can't do anything anymore but take it to the extreme (laughs) responsible for killing yeah for killing this this girl because he was leering over some girl absolutely perfect yeah and of course that's and and that established in that very first scene when we see him leering over over the young girls as well Mm -hmm. Fiona's obviously very upset so she walks out and after she leaves Sarah kind of turns to Rick and goes like women and rolls her eyes like this internalized sexism yes. again yes. Uh, as if this behavior from men is just acceptable we have this very awkward birthday lunch now oh God, yeah. and I love how Michael is just sitting completely separately yes, yes. not engaging not with engaging, anything right. yeah. he's I wonder because obviously we find out later he's got all these different wives like I wonder if he is like that with all of them or if it is just Sarah I'm not sure really yeah that's a good question yeah I, I can't get, imagine him being I think after a while I'm guessing he's like that with all of them that's my feeling that it's just like after after he's yeah had his way and then you know he keeps getting more wives thinking he'll be happy yeah, and, he, exactly. and he's not yeah so Sarah says he's been away to the Philippines again and this is where she says oh, we've decided well he's decided that it's better to keep up these separate holidays he doesn't really enjoy my company poor man doesn't want to go away on holiday and have to look at my big fat face across the table Yeah. <laughs> and Lizzie's response is you know 
a normal response would be like, oh, that's awful. But Lizzie says, oh, you know, it's nice, nice for him to have a break, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is fine. Nothing's wrong here. <laughs> yeah, at that point, they're both, they're, they're, they are both just kind of saying that thing to each other, aren't they? They're both kind of dealing with it by just just saying it's all fine. It's Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're kind of building up to mm. the bit in our way. It does change for them. Uh, Bernita at the table sort of gives John a bit of a look and they go off together. And Sarah brings in this really sad looking replacement birthday yeah. cake. It's like a sort of birthday little sponge with a candle in it Michael walks over and he just slams this card on the table and it's just sort of like there you go like again not even looking at it like and she it's so sad because she looks she's almost like crying with happiness yes. <laughs> he slammed this card yes. in front of her she can't believe it like oh you can't believe you're spoiling me yeah. Lizzie looks quite pleased for her as well like oh I think he's being lovely <laughs> and obviously it's got this plastic surgery voucher inside to go to Iran and it just it just keeps Keeps getting more and more brutal. He says, "Oh, it's for for Sarah's baby belly," and she just goes, "But but I haven't had a baby, Michael." Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> she's, brilliant. Yeah. She's just you know saying before, "Oh, I've never had a baby because he didn't want me to," and now <laughs> he, he he would have wanted to have the surgery regardless. I think this is a point where they don't sort of immediately laugh it off. Like there is a bit of a yeah, intense... yeah. You can sense things are slightly less slightly. Yeah, dealing with like starting to deal with the reality of how yeah. these men are. Yeah, he has sort of crossed a line yes. a little bit. Lizzie looks a bit concerned. <laughs> A bit concerned. That's true, yeah. <laughs> she goes off to get Boggle, and yeah. Sarah and Michael are the only ones in the room, and they have make eye contact with each other for the first time, probably, and just yeah, you can feel that something yeah. has changed with this voucher that he's given her. This is where Lizzie discovers John and Bernita upstairs uh, having sex. She's making this awful like squeaking noise, and she tells her daughter that it's mice. Mice, like yeah. just the, the audacity, like the whole family's in the house, just yeah. They know that they can just get away with it, you know. I think, this, do you think this is probably the first time she's actually witnessed it? Because I think later, yeah. later she implies that she's known for a while. Well, of course, yeah. So I think I get, you get the sense that, that, that she's absolutely 100% known, but to actually be confronted with it in, yeah. in, in her face, it, you know, so to speak, almost literally. So she's known about it absolutely, but is obviously burying it not being able to deal with the horrendous nature of it and then to be confronted with that she almost has to deal with it finally at that moment because her daughter's there and she's literally watching them having sex in front of us. And there, again, to go back to what, the point I made before about how I think there is an absolute psychological truth to that. You know, they've kept the door open, you know. It's having this loud, awful, vivid sex in front of their eye, in front of the, everyone else. They just don't give a shit. And kind of knowing or assuming that no one can possibly deal with that because it's too much to deal with yeah sure and then this is where we get a bit of a turning point really because they're they're filling up the dishwasher because of course they are and sarah says michael's decided that he wants a divorce and they've obviously had this off-screen little moment before saying she says oh you know i think it's been a long time coming i think the trouble with marriage nowadays is everyone's so interested in being happy (laughs) (laughs) that's a great line (laughs) considering she's like a marriage counselor as well that's that's the issue people have got and lizzie just suddenly starts dropping the plates in 
something's changed and yeah. she, she tells Sarah oh, you know John's been sleeping with Bronita and she, oh, this is the point actually she says night after night I hear him just pumping away at her and then I make them toasties <laughs> yeah because yeah, Bronita has a thing for toasties doesn't she yeah she demands toasties yeah yeah as this a little detail as well she says that she pays Bronita £700 a week plus 300 for emergencies <laughs> she's just taken advantage and Jesus. she's just been accepting it yeah and then she kind of shrieks really she's that she's wasted her life she can't believe it sarah hasn't quite reached that point yet but she kind of reaches that point where she's saying like oh where would i be if i got all upset that michael wants a divorce or that i took it personally that he bought me a one-way ticket to a war-torn country to get my bosoms chopped up and then she starts talking about the whole pillow thing and this is where she really kind of something snaps and she starts sobbing and says and when he finishes he screams i hate you i hate you and defecates in oh, my shoes. Yes, like that, that line really... Re- All throughout this thing, I think, they reach a point where you think, oh, that's right, they've they've, they've taken it to the edge, you know, and, and we're, I'm, I'm dealing with it, and then they'll push it slightly further and you think they'll ever go. And that line about the defecating, after having sex defecating in her shoes. Yeah, we've already seen the pillow stuff, yeah. and then we found out there's something even worse yeah, afterwards that exactly. we haven't seen. Yeah, that's like a powerful... I mean, like... Just uh, you know, it's hard to under to, to, to overestimate, underestimate, whichever <laughs> the 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 brilliance of that writing. I think because it's so horrible that it's funny because it's so horrible and disgusting that it's really really funny and horrendous. Yeah, I think it's perhaps funnier the fact that we haven't seen it as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, totally. Just the, the words describing it, the vision in your mind. Yeah, you can see it and you're like, oh my god. Yeah. Lizzie suggests that they go bra shopping and then they're sort of wearing these ridiculous like thigh high boots because they're going shopping, yeah. but with the same clothes that they had on before. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> just with thigh high boots, uh, they go to the pub where these men are buying them drinks and dancing with them and you kind of you feel sorry for them because you think by this point you'd think they'd want to stay away from men for a little bit but they just immediately fall back into it of oh I think he says that he loves me and all that sort of thing (laughs) you feel like you understand it though because you think like well you know they're they're enduring miserable loveless marriages and um, horrendous mechanical at uh, best at best mechanical sex at worst something much more much darker and so yeah when two two guys yeah. take an interest in them attention you think absolutely you know yeah why wouldn't they enjoy that moment mm-hmm. yeah and one of them's played by uh Stephen Evans who was in camping playing that um antiques shop owner yeah uh, and he was also in series two of Nighty Night playing the vicar who marries Glenn and Jill together they are, you know, infatuated with these men suddenly, but then they realise that they've had their wallets stolen. And yeah, we're about 20 minutes in now, and this is where it kind of flips to being this revenge story. I think I've heard Julia Davis say that it was actually, it was Jessica Hines who suggested doing this. Yes. If it was just her writing on her own, like it might have been even bleaker possibly, but Jessica Hines suggested the whole revenge thing to finish it off. Which is really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, you could see how, you could see how, in a Julia Davis series, this could have carried on, you know, for quite a while, really, before the snapping mm-hmm. happened. And then maybe w- would the snapping have been, you know, I don't know, the snapping might have been something much more, um, less extreme. Um, but I think that the shift from, you know, the, the uh, I think it's a brilliant device, having that extra element of, of misery, which is getting an interest out of these guys in the bar and having a good time and then having a good time. 
um, and like, and then realizing they're being taken for a ride, that adds another level of bitter horribleness from men that they then that, that fully leads to the snap, as you say, and the, and the turn into violence, um, which again, you know, seems almost cartoon-like in a way. You know that they've gone. The, you know that Judy said, "All right, yeah." Was, Jessica came up with the idea of making it. But actually, you know, like, I don't know, like a kind of Thelma and Louise, when you're watching it, it kind of, there is a reality to it as well, you know, and there's definitely, there's absolutely 100% a kind of a reality to women being driven too far. This happens, you know, in life constantly, being driven so far by men that they have to resort to violence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they chase him down, don't they? And there's all this sort of shaky camera work going on. They're kicking him. Lizzie just sort of lets go and starts hitting him. And Sarah has to actually like restrain her. He's unconscious. And so they get their wallets back and they find this gun in his pocket and uh, like it starts off with Sarah just accidentally shoots him and at first she's sort of like oh sorry sorry but then something sort of kicks in and mm. she's like oh well he he tried he tried to rape you didn't he Lizzie like she's already coming up with a a potential yeah, plan yeah. like you know they're not going to freak out too much about it they're going to come up with a plan Lizzie says oh you know in, in tag it it says to just do what you would normally do because <laughs> yeah. of course that would be the reference point they're like start stuffing their faces with these chocolates to try and figure out what to do and I, I love this moment where the woman comes up and is like I hope you're going to pay for those and she goes yes of course I am because yeah. like she just killed someone but she's not going to like steal anything yeah, exactly, out yeah. of the question and they decide that maybe they should should leave the country and obviously they've got this voucher to go to Iran which is the perfect opportunity uh, they rush over to Sarah's house to get her passport and they break into Michael's office and she says oh you know I'm not usually allowed in here and this is where she discovers this wedding album yeah. you know at first she opens it and it's a picture of them looking all sort of smiling and she's, she, she sort of softens a bit and is kind of like oh you know good times and then as she goes through the book, he's just married to all these different women in pretty much every country yes. around the world in these like stereotypical costumes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, just a, a wife in every country. And he's also got like a whole pile of passports. And then it's it's sort of like a horror movie for a few seconds because mm. he's sort of in the he appears in the doorway and the light is swinging around. And it's just I think this is one of the most brutal lines. I, th- I think I find it the most brutal now where she says to him, I thought you didn't want children, Michael. And he just goes, I didn't want your children. Yeah, when I was watching yeah. it the other day, I was like, oh. Yeah, completely. <laughs> That's yeah. really it is, bad. It's really bad, yeah. And you, but you, you know, I say, you can imagine men saying that, absolutely, to, in, 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 in real life situations. Yeah, it really, you know, it rings true and it is absolutely horrendous. Yeah, and it because it, from what she said before, it does seem like she would have wanted them. <laughs> but yeah. she, did, she hasn't because he said that he didn't want to. Yeah. So, she, yeah, she must be just heartbroken at this point. She pulls the gun out on him you know quite understandably and he has so like little respect for her he doesn't even take her seriously does Mm, he he's kind of like oh stop being melodramatic she says oh i've killed today and i'll kill again and she says something to him about oh i didn't want another pillow over my face and shoots him and then just kind of finish it off nicely lizzie gives her a pillow and he she puts over his face like little act of revenge at the end after that they go over to lizzie's house to get her passport she walks in and john and Bernita are having sex again uh, respectfully while she's out this time. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, very respectfully, yeah. <laughs> um, 
John leaves and Bernita opens the fridge. And again, it's a little bit like a horror film because as she closes the fridge door, Lizzie just sort of appears yes. and she's like, hungry, Bernita. And I think she's lost her glasses at this point and makes her look a bit more, mm. a bit less sort of meek, really. Yeah. She asks her to clean under the fridge and Bernita says, oh, I, I don't feel well. <laughs> and she says, um, is that because you've swallowed too much of my husband's semen? <laughs> textbook line uh, yeah I love that that feels very Julia Davis yes, yes. <laughs> um, and then the next thing we see is Bernita's like cleaning the, the floor and she's got a gun to her head and she's making she says well she says to her like eat a shit toasty like do you think that means that she's put I mean it's possible because when I first heard yeah. I interpreted it as like have a crap like have like a yeah, rubbish, rubbish toast yeah, yeah but yeah. I'm looking oh, no, it, it could up, equally be I think that's yeah. the, a deliberate ambiguity mm. there yeah you absolutely you definitely envision the shit toast <laughs> she's yeah. prepared it yeah. for her especially yeah. and then yeah shoots her Sarah walks in and is like what have you done and she says well, well you did it yeah. <laughs> so it's fine now and Sarah says to her well you know I just think perhaps we should stop killing people maybe from now maybe <laughs> as of now we just say that we won't do anymore and Lizzie says I, I couldn't really hear what her surname was here it sounded like Lizzie Rond or something uh, but, yeah, but yeah, she yeah. says like my name is Lizzie Rond and I'm not afraid anymore and then there's you know it's been quite dramatic and then there's a little comedy moment here where her face suddenly changes because she gets a message from John and she's like oh he's forgotten his packed lunch <laughs> yes. uh, at this point, the, mem the memorial for Vicky is happening and uh, Ellie is saying like, oh, today's an extra special day because there's a casting agent here. <laughs> and they start dancing to this um, like sugar babe song, like writhing all over this man in the audience. It was so inappropriate. I think like Julia here looks kind of sort of Jill Tyrrell-esque because yeah, yeah, she's she got does, all the yeah. blonde hair and yeah. the kind of skimpy outfits. But Jessica Hines, I don't think, like I've never seen her like that before. So yeah, it's quite, yeah, sure, it's actually. interesting. It, to is, it is, yeah. Um, and then I love this moment now when John walks in and she like opens up the lunchbox and says, I've got your packed lunch, John, and pulls out the gun. Yeah, like right. almost like a sort of cheesy action film. Yes, like, yes. I assume there was never like a sort of screening for this. I assume. Did you say you just got sent a... I don't remember. I think so, yeah. But my memory is so bad that um, I don't think there was. They probably no. wouldn't have done if they were trying to get it out quietly. Now I, think, now I start to think about it. I think I did go to a screen. It might have been like a cast and crew screening. Right. Um, that sometimes they invite a few journalists to, mm -hmm. yeah. Because I was thinking this is, I think that that's a moment where I can imagine if I was in a screening, people being like, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I've got your packed Completely. lunch, John. Yeah. It's yeah. like, yes, kill him. Yeah. <laughs> she says to him, I know what you've been doing. And he has the worst response because he's like, Oh, is it, is it about Ellie? Yeah, that's really funny. Uh, yeah, he lists all the people that could be about Ellie. Yeah. yeah, is it about Ellie? She shoots him. Yeah. Is it Faith? Yeah. She shoots him again. <laughs> uh, he says, like, oh, it was only twice, three times max with a sheath. <laughs> Creepy. Uh, and then he notices Bernita's been killed and starts saying all this sort of, you know, I need help, I'm a sex addict. She shoots him in the crotch then. Yeah. Uh, Sarah comes in and says give me the gun and he looks a bit sort of relieved and it's like oh thank god and she goes I've got extra bullets and again that's another moment where it's like yes yeah, <laughs> shoots him you know he dies this time and they their expressions are so different from what we've seen before they look really kind of steely and a little bit of a smile going on oh, like yeah, they've just had yeah. this transformation yeah. haven't they and then it ends with this 
the actual performance at the memorial, which they've managed to get there in time for now. Fiona's crying and they sort of put their arms around her and say, you know, oh, we'll, we'll take good care of you, Fiona. And I think it's Jessica Hines who says, and Rick, we'll take very good care of Rick yeah, with very yeah. sinister Absolutely, music yeah. and expression going on. I feel cheated that we didn't get any more. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, it, 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 yeah you're right. Because that, that the catharsis of it, so it, it is a classic um, catharsis of women, you know, taking revenge on, on men. And also, as you mentioned earlier, there's the whole the whole line about I think it's saying something about um, women having you know living suddenly realizing they've had what have they you know what have they had to do in their life just living these bleak lives at the service of their men you know and kind of realizing the full horror of that and I think there's so much more to be mined you know they could have done as you say you know in in the the um, anthology version they could have done loads of stories like that. Mm-hmm with different characters experiencing different versions of that. And I, this is just me, my own idea of what it could have been, what could have been. But I think it's such a rich, and I think there are more and more, you know, we know the reality of the situation, you know, as time goes on. So I think, yeah, it just, it's, it's a real, and just, just, you know, it's the way they balance the, the horror of it and the, um, the realism really of, you know, the psychological realism of it with, you know, as you say, it becoming a kind of almost horror thriller thing in the last 10 minutes, revenge thriller, um, it's so brilliantly done. It's so brilliantly, handy. you know, more than anything else, it's, it's, I think it's one of the best things each of them have done. If you take it, it's a half hour episode of a potential comedy series. I think every single scene works so well. The cast is perfect. So it's just being robbed of more of Jessica Hines and Julie Davis working together on something as good as this. Yeah, it and I don't really think pop- I don't right. think they've done anything together since, no, have they? Really? Because really. really. yeah, they've both been busy doing lots of other stuff. Yeah, Jessica Stevens did her, you know, a film, wrote, directed, and starred in her. Yeah, film, which was great. and she did um, Up the Women. Yeah, W One A and Twenty Twelve. Mm-hmm. That character, that character has become a kind of you know iconic, indelible. Yeah, know, brilliantly funny. So obviously they've both gone on and done amazing yeah. things, but I, yeah. you know, it's a shame they weren't yeah, really. allowed to yeah. carry on with this. You it's know. a dream duo, yeah, absolute mm. dream duo. Yeah, and this was as good as you know when, when I remember when, you know getting the press. You get press releases for TV series, and then you know you wait six months later you actually see the thing, and you get a press release saying Jessica Hines and Julie Davis are working on a thing. They're writing and starring. And like, oh, amazing! You know, dream duo, and then you get the thing, and it does, and it lives up to that. It is as daring and bold. And pushing the boundaries as you can possibly imagine, even clearly too much for the BBC, mm-hmm. which they did eleven forty-five. That makes it even worse that you know that they haven't had the time or whatever. Maybe you know there's still time. I'm sure that you know maybe they'll they'll do something together eventually. But yeah, it, ma- it makes me feel slightly sad. Yeah, definitely. So, any other comments before we sort of come to an end? Anything else you wanted no, to say? No, really, uh, no, I'm very. I was very because I probably you know I haven't seen it since um, you know certainly since it went out, and I think it was. They put it on iTunes, I seem yes, to remember. Yes, but it doesn't seem to be on there anymore. No, I think I'm sure for various rights reasons or whatever. Yeah, um, I think I read that when it came out on iTunes, it was like top of the charts yeah. or something. So it became a bit of a cult. I remember it becoming a bit of a cult phenomenon that and people, you know, there was a whole online drive. You know, obviously, why do you, a first of all, why do you show it so late at night and not support it more? B, you know, why didn't you commission the series, etc., etc. Then it. It went out on iTunes, and this was pre. Was iPlayer even around? iPlayer must have been around. Yes, yeah. I think yeah. I read. I'm thinking um, nothing was around only nine years ago. <laughs> TV was invented because I, uh, yeah, I saw a website called The Velvet Onion okay. was saying, um, right, it's on iPlayer, so yeah. everyone has to watch it, yeah, right, okay. <laughs> try and get the yeah. viewing figures yeah. up, like a sort of coordinated yeah. effort. And yeah. apparently, there was also a bit of a Facebook page that was like, please commission Lizzie yeah. and Sarah. It was, definitely a, it was definitely a thing that comedy fans fans of both of these brilliant um, creators and actors and writers wanted, you know, wanted more. And 
and and then nothing ever happens. Yeah, and that, and that's just that's the way it happens all the time. Unfortunately, yeah. And the last thing Julia Davis did before that was Nighty Night, and that was like a five year gap. Right. So right. it was. I think that's you know for most yeah, I people. I forgot about that. That's a good point. Yeah. So we've wait, been waiting to some extent for a yeah. big Julia Davis return. Yeah. So it was most, very exciting. Yeah. yeah. And for most people, that's not that long. But I think looking at her IMDb, I think that's actually the longest gap she's yeah. ever had. And yeah. she had her kids in that time, sure. so that explains. And yeah, she she was still in stuff like she was in Gavin and Stacey, yeah. but she wasn't. Yeah. She hadn't created anything. Absolutely. So yeah. yeah, some people were kind of talking about it like it was a little bit of a comeback moment. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. Of course. So yeah. it's even more of a disappointment than that it didn't. Yeah. didn't turn yeah. into anything yeah. and then luckily Hunderby was I think two years later so there wasn't right. too long to wait no. but she had to go to Sky to make it happen I think she said that she did go to the BBC with Hunderby and they said no yeah that rings a bell yeah that <laughs> so. absolutely rings a bell yeah I think I think you know as I say I think that would all be different now I think the BBC would would would, would do anything to get a Julia Davis show that's I mean yeah that's my own opinion mm-hmm. yeah. but just being just watching it again as i say for the f- um probably for the first time in you know maybe eight nine years just it's incredibly powerful piece of tv um and as i say probably has more and i don't think you know i don't think in any way um i remember saying once i, I remember saying something something like this to julia davis in, in, when i was interviewing her because i think i've interviewed her for um pretty much everything she's done since this so i you know i i think i you know i hosted a screening of um, Hunter B and and did a Q and A and spoke to her. Same for Sally Forever. But I think, I think I said, you know, she really. You can stand back and go. A lot of what you're writing about is like, you know, domestic abuse mm-hmm. and you know people being hor- horrible to each other to the point of abuse. You know, and she's going, yeah, absolutely, that is true. If you really stand back and think about it, but she doesn't sit there going, right, I'm going to write about this issue. It's just, it's it's a kind of natural for her to observe the really bleak edges of human interaction going back to human remains you know human remains was dark dark stuff and, and Rob Bryan talks about how his um his kind of comedic vision was much lighter in many his natural you know he goes m- m- much more naturally to a lighter tone and so that was what made that so brilliant really that series it was a real mixture of the two her much darker vision his m- naturally much lighter one together it was it was kind of brilliant it worked but i think this is almost e- even with the incredibly edgy stuff she's done since Sally Forever, maybe particularly in moments of Hunter B, really out there. But there's something about this that really packs a massive punch, I think, because it is does that maybe it's slightly more tuned to realism until you get to that last ten minutes. And even then, actually, I mean, they're played you know for laughs, and, it, and it's a very cathartic moment for the viewer and the characters. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, I think there's something really, really tough and difficult about this. Yeah. The first twenty minutes of this that is brilliant, and you know, maybe one of the best things. Other than River Dunn. Yeah, it's great. So uh, before we finish, uh, mm. where can people find you on social media? I am myself, Boyd Hilton, um, on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Pilot TV Podcast, which is out every Monday um, with my colleagues from Pilot TV Magazine. If you're into football, I've got an Arsenal podcast called Footballistically Arsenal. I think that's about all I need to mention. Yeah. And I mean, oh, and I write about TV every week in the Heat Magazine. Yes, everyone needs to listen to Pilot TV every Monday. Thank you. <laughs> right. Yes. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smashed Prawns in a Milky Basket. You can find us on Twitter at Julia Davis QOTD, and you can find me at It's Sophie Davis. This podcast was edited by Alex Bondek with original music by Martin Ford and Matt Bond. 
Next time, I'll be joined by Tom Aspel to talk about Nighty Night Series 2.